The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Gracious God, every generous act we embody comes from the grace you bestow upon us. Bless our worship of you this day, that we may learn and live in your ways. Amen. The lesson today is from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, Command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Over the years, as I have traveled this road of ministry, how I see and understand uh, the season of Lent and temptation has, has evolved. I alluded to this on Wednesday evening during Ash Wednesday. I'm going to unpack that here. Be excited. <laughs> Early on, I saw those things in terms of self-denial. Just say no. Don't do this. Don't do that. And everything will be fine. However, life is complicated. Rarely is it ever that simple. Just say no in self-denial, for me at least, We're no longer enough. I don't mean I exchange self-denial for self-indulgence. But I am saying that my life, your life, our life, I believe, deserves and demands more than just say no. And here's why I say that. I suspect that we've all had times and experiences in our lives when just say no did not apply. It just wasn't relevant. Because the issue wasn't a yes or no kind of question. Or maybe there were times when the rules simply didn't cover or speak to the circumstances. What then? 
Where do you turn? There have also been times when I followed the rules to a T. I did the right thing. I said no. I was who I was supposed to be and did what was expected of me, what I was supposed to do. And yet, despite all of that, it didn't work out. It didn't work out the way that I wanted or thought it would. Something was amiss, lacking. There was no sense of integrity or wholeness to my life. I was compliant, across the board compliant, but I was not changed or transformed. And then there's those other times in my life where I have, com- I have claimed a particular set of values and virtues as the things that will guide my life. And then I leave the house and I do the exact opposite. Have you ever done that, Claudia? Now's the time to tell. (laughs) We've all done it, not just Claudia and I. What I have experienced time and time again in my life is a disconnect. A disconnect between what was going on inside of me and what is happening in the world around me. It wasn't enough to just say no. I needed more. I needed congruency between my inner life and my outer world. And so, over time, through life experience, I began to rethink those places of struggle, what we often call temptations. Not so much in terms of self-denial, but more in terms of self-knowledge. What do these circumstances and struggles teach me about myself? What insights do they provide? Can that path lead me to change and transformation? I'm going to do a bit of Temptation story juxtaposition. Ready? And I'm going to ask you questions. Mm. I will do my best not to judge. (laughs) I won't judge you, I promise. I promise. He will. I'm assuming that all of you know the story of Adam and Eve. Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And their temptation in the garden concerning the forbidden fruit. So on one hand, we lift up Adam and Eve as having done it all wrong. On the other hand, we lift Jesus up as having got it all right. Right? Right. On the one hand, Adam and Eve are bad. On the other hand, Jesus is good. Good. It's like 100% so far. Now, I don't necessarily think that's wrong. 
But I will be honest, it feels superficial and very limiting to me. And I'm not suggesting that Jesus got it wrong and Adam and Eve got it right, so everyone calm down. However, I think there's a deeper meaning between these two stories. I think that there's a thread that connects these two stories, and I think that thread is self-knowledge. When you move beyond the dualities of good or bad, right or wrong, you discover that both of these stories are about self-knowledge. You're like, I don't think so, John. (laughs) You wait for it. Wait for it. So, think about Adam and Eve. They eat the forbidden fruit. Do you remember what happens after they eat? Do, 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 do. They recognize they were naked. Their eyes are opened. Very good, Tamasha. No one in the first service got that. So, you are a superstar. What does that mean about their eyes before they ate? That's right. I'm so proud of all of you. They were seeing with closed eyes, partial seeing, blindness. There's something about eating the fruit that opened the eyes of Adam and Eve, which gave them awareness. It awakened them. It brought them to a new level of consciousness. So maybe they didn't fall into fault, sin, as much as they fell into consciousness. They experience something of themselves in the world in the same way as does God. They knew good and they knew evil. They saw it all. And what they saw was complicated. And potentially more real and more beautiful than they could ever imagine. Now think about times in your life when that has happened for you. When there's been a new awareness, an awakening, a new consciousness. And you see the world and yourself in a brand new way. I suspect that more often than not, those moments always follow some sort of stumbling some failure, some fault. With new consciousness, we might see beauty and goodness in the world, but we also see pain and disfigurement. We see the places of wholeness and we see places of integrity, but we also see places of brokenness. And I don't mean just in the world around us, but we see within us. We see the truth in the reality of our lives. We see and understand ourselves to be a mixture of both. We are full of contradictions. We are neither wholly good nor wholly bad. We are both. And that's why life gets complicated. That's why it's never enough to just say no. 
if we look beyond their failure to say no, we can see that the garden experience brought Adam and Eve to self-knowledge, good or bad. It brought them to self-knowledge. By the same token, if we look beyond Jesus saying no, we can see his wilderness experience having brought him to self-knowledge. Before Jesus went into the wilderness, he was... Hmm. He was baptized. Baptized. And while Jesus was standing in the water, a voice was heard from heaven that said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. He goes to the wilderness having been told that God is pleased with him. He goes into the wilderness having been told that he is God's child. He goes into the wilderness having been told that he is beloved. All of that is given to him before the first temptation. Given. Whatever Jesus said in the wilderness, be it yes, be it no, would not determine if he was God's son. Would not determine if he was beloved. Would not determine if God was pleased with him. Those are not the consequences or rewards for passing the wilderness temptations. But the preconditions for those temptations. Because grace always precedes us. And so, maybe Jesus' time in the wilderness wasn't so much about proving or giving something to God, as much as it was about Jesus learning and experiencing something about himself. That he really is God's son, because he would have to claim that. That he really is beloved, because he would have to claim that. That God is pleased with him. He would have to claim that. Maybe there was something that Jesus needed to learn about himself. So that he could come out of the wilderness knowing who he was. Knowing to whom he belonged. Knowing his message to the world. The self-knowledge that he gained in the wilderness, I believe, shaped his ministry. If the wilderness place was a place of self-knowledge for Jesus, might it not also be for us? If the garden and their failure to say no was a place of self-knowledge for Adam and Eve... Might it not also be for us? All of you are aware that we are in the season of Lent? Yes. I just want to make sure. <laughs> so what if, 
What if over the next 40 days of Lent, holding these two stories and not in tension, but just holding them, what if over the next 40 days of Lent, we let go of questions about good or bad, right or wrong, whether we are enough? And in place of those things, we seek self-knowledge. And I'm not talking about self-knowledge in a narrow, selfish, and egotistical way. I'm talking about self-knowledge that is deep and profound. That reveals our truest and most authentic self. That requires us to re-examine our lives. Not to make judgments or inflict pain, but to seek healing and new life. talking about self-knowledge that turns our life and turns our gaze towards God. I believe self-knowledge will always take us further than self-denial. I believe it in my core. Which isn't to say self-denial is not important. It does have a positive, necessary role in our lives. But I always think that there's more positive born out of positive than negative. And for this season of Lent, I just want you to give self-knowledge priority. When I was in chaplaincy training each week, I point to Keith because... Technically, he's kind of my boss. But <laughs> you are. I didn't think about it that way, but you are. Each week, my peers and I would be asked, what are you learning about yourself? When is the last time you asked yourself, what are you learning about yourself? I'm serious. When is the last time you stopped and thought, what am I learning about myself? What am I learning about myself? And then that question was always followed up with, where is God in your learning? Where is God in your learning? I will tell you, initially, I feared, we all feared those questions. It was the opportune time to go to the restroom. (laughs) 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 However, however, in time, those questions became life-giving. Not just for me, but for for all of us. I mean, think about the opportunity to ask yourself, what am I learning today? What have I learned today? Where is God in my learning? And over the course of time, those questions, my answers, changed how I moved in life. It was about learning who I was but also about who I might become. And how I might become more. More present, more reflective, more vulnerable, more human, more Christ-like. And it was never about right or wrong. It was just about authenticity in the moment and answering as honestly as one can. What if you let those two questions guide you through Lent? Be your companions 
What are you learning about yourself? Where is God in your learning? Second century bishop once said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. We can only ever know life fully, God fully, when we first know ourselves. Thanks be to God. Amen.